This is Amplify, a mini-series from the True North Collective podcast, aiming to highlight unsugarcoated conversations with everyday Black and Indigenous people of color on what it means to be yourself in the realities of our current system. Welcome to Season 4, Episode 14. Recording. Hello, everyone. We are so excited to be here for another Amplify episode. We are here um, to continue the conversation that we started in 2020 with um, Black, Indigenous, people of color to really acknowledge how authenticity plays within the current landscape that we are experiencing, not only in the US, but in the world. Um, As you know, we have lots of conversations on on authenticity and to have that without acknowledging um, the realities for people in this country that are Black, Indigenous, uh, people of color felt like a real big miss. And so uh, this is a continuation of conversations that started last year, and we're super excited to bring a new voice in to the conversation and kind of expand that today. Awesome. Thanks for entering that, Rachel. Um, just to kick it off, so I'm going to introduce our third voice today on the podcast, our guest today, Minji. And Minji is a people developer, a coach, an Enneagram 3, me too girl, child of Korean immigrants, Southern California transplant, partner to a British Australian expat, and a mother to a sassy, silky terrier. So welcome to the podcast, Minji. We're really excited to have you here. Welcome. Thanks so much. Uh, I apologize for the really long intro, but I have a lot of things. So thank you, Janelle, for <laughs> saying that so eloquently. I'm really excited to be here. I definitely was like a sassy, silky terrier. I was like, wait, what? <laughs> I thought she was going to say a child. And I was really excited about that, <laughs> which I know your dog is still a child, but it was yeah I'm actually our last podcast we recorded it was 6 a.m and I just butchered the entire intro so the fact that I just said sassy silky terrier and I think I actually nailed that one is so much better than last time because I just messed up the entire thing and we're just gonna leave it out there but hey guys I can do this I got it (laughs) still got it um, but we like to kick off these these conversations with just asking the question, what does it look like to be Ninji today? Yes, a uh, couple things are top of mind, uh, of course, with the context of COVID quarantine. I wake up every day and I think about my team and how I can be of service to them. I work in learning and development. So every day I wake up to help people grow in their careers. And it's such an honor. It's such a blessing. It's a passion of mine that I somehow get paid for. And I couldn't be more grateful to be in this space. Um, Also, more top of mind than I've ever experienced in my life is self-care. I know everyone says that, but it comes in different shapes and sizes for everyone. And so for me, it's creating boundaries to walk my dog, play tennis, try to eat healthy, but also allow myself to indulge. Um, And it's, yeah, it's it's always a journey. Self-care has been a journey for me. I've never done more therapy in my life. I do um, individual therapy. I do couples therapy and it is so helpful. And so that's kind of my 
weekly um, focus in addition to staying connected to family, friends, and of course my partner who I'm around 24 seven. Um, <laughs> so yeah, that's what it looks like for me right now. I just want to acknowledge as a fellow coach that it is so important that we are still taking care of ourselves from like a mental capacity. Like sometimes I feel like I'll say I have put the pressure on myself of like, I should have this figured out by now, but just how important, like the ever evolving journey of getting to know my mental, physical, emotional, spiritual sides are in order for me to hold better and better, better spaces for people. And that, that will never go away. So I just, I want to acknowledge that coaches are human too. (laughs) And it doesn't mean that you are a shitty coach. If you have a therapist and a coach as well, it means probably that you're a better coach actually. 2020 was definitely my intro to therapy too. There is, um, Rachel and I both learned this, but when you move around a lot, you can't take your therapist with you. Otherwise I'd probably still be doing it. But um, yeah, last year, I feel like there were points in time where I'm like, I'm in so many different levels of like group therapy and then individual therapy and then meditation in this course. But um, yeah, I, I think we need it. And I feel like people are really opening up to it too. And just, it's so important in a time where other areas that either for me, like where instruction before got taken away, um, or even potentially we're just like a, a nice break, you know, getting, getting out and socializing and that can be healing in itself and to like lose some of those. It's, it's been very nice to have another outlet. So as we jump in, we, today's conversation is going to be a mix. It'll be fluid. Like it always is. Um, but I would love like, before we get into maybe the, the meteor section of today to even just talk a little bit about, um, your coaching background. And you had mentioned finding the balance between being, um, a pusher and a supporter and how you hold that contrast. So I'd love to just hear, like, if you want to share a little bit about your coaching and then, um, kind of like what you're wrestling with there. So coaching for me has, um, in an official sense, been rather new. Uh, You know, maybe I've been doing it for years, but not in a intentional and in a way where I was deliberately using a skill set that I learned. Um, And so the journey kind of was introduced to me back when I started my master's program and learning and organizational change. Um, shout out to my MSLCers at Northwestern. I love you guys. They're my community forever. But um, I wasn't able to go through the coaching program there. And so after in, you know, during COVID, I was like, this is a great time to just learn and just have the flexibility to learn something new. And so I I did take all the courses at CTI and I felt like I got all the skill set that I needed to now coach. And so what it looks like for me is I have um, seven, you could say leaders um, on my team that I coach at work. And it's a little tailored to the work setting and, and, the, and the goals of the team and the challenges that we're facing. And so it has that context there. And then I also have four active coaches on the side, um, which is a lot more of the openness of um, personal and work-life integration. And we're working on 
mostly career transitions, but also relationships and boundary setting with parents and um, all the things that come with life um, outside of work as well. And I love the variety that I get with all of these different people. Um, Janelle, you mentioned me trying to find the balance of being a pusher and um, a support. It's the struggle of being a three, Enneagram three. Um, and it, it makes sense to be in this field and be an Enneagram three. Um, a pusher is someone who strives for success, for full potential, and wants to bring that out of everyone that they come in contact with. And it sets us up naturally to be great people developers and coaches. Uh, but on the flip side, even my fiance the other day said, you're really intense. I just want you to like, make sure you're balancing that you're there for your team and you allow them to process and they can process with you and that you're not always like drilling into them. You gotta meet your goals. <laughs> you gotta, you gotta be your best self all the time. And um, it's, it's one of those things where it's a reflection of me. Like I'm always pushing myself and I don't give myself that space as much as I should to process and um, support myself. So uh, it's a fine balance and I wanna make sure that I take care of others um, at least more than maybe I will for myself so that they will keep coming back to me. <laughs> yeah, as a fellow Enneagram three, I, <laughs> I feel seen. I'm sure Rachel, from the time being at the fitness studio together, that was one of my biggest takeaways of being a people manager and managing a team of, you know, 30 some people was like, I at that point lacked a lot of compassion for myself and I was just going after these big goals. And it was like, if people couldn't meet me there. I was like, what the hell? Like you guys don't care enough. Or like, you know, all, you know, all these things that obviously were not true, but, um, it took me. I feel like my, being in my learning and development space and like seeing a different perspective and kind of going behind the curtain, um, like, oh, <laughs> okay, I understand. Cause I, I, I'm the same thing. It's like when you can see the potential like in yourself or in other people, it's like you want it for them so bad. But if there's anything I've learned from also like podcasting and having these conversations is like sometimes people just, I mean, basically all the time, they kind of just have to go through it themselves and have that experience. And I'm even learning that on many levels on my own too, of like, I can understand it here, but if I don't actually go through the experience or allow myself to make the mistakes or allow myself to get, you know, sometimes even burned or have that negative experience, then I'm not fully learning what there is to learn. Um, so I, I appreciate that perspective. And when you had sent the email wanting to talk about that, I'm like, Ooh, and know that one. There's an interesting, I've, I've heard it a few times over the last few years, um, around rites of passage. And I most recently connected with somebody who's part of the, the Haida community. And he was speaking to like his, you know, ancestry and his culture really had these points in, in their, um, upbringing or in the process of that culture where you actually go through these rites of passage. And, and I, to kind of parrot what you're saying a little bit, Janelle, it's like, I've noticed in myself, I'm, I just turned 38, um, a few, like a month ago, I guess. Yeah. A month ago. And 
the things that I thought that I could leapfrog, I, I couldn't. Like there's just certain things that you actually need to allow yourself to experience to grow into the, the your adulthood, grow into a, a full expression of yourself. And so to be able to really allow yourself the grace and the permission to like, you have to go through those mistakes. That's a part of the process. So I, I just loved that idea of like, actually in order for me to be the best version of myself, I have to actually look at all of these things in society where I'm trying to be perfect and avoid, and I actually have to make the mistake. <laughs> I have to be in the relationship where I'm an asshole. I have to be in a relationship where I'm going to have someone be an asshole to me. I have to like, I just use that as an example, but like, you know, take, do the job where I'm getting it out of ego, do the job where I give too much of myself. Like there's these things that I needed to experience in order to like, I can't avoid it. Um, I, I think we're missing it in, um, I feel like I've been missing that, um, until I've given myself the permission to say like, okay, well, where, where have been my rites of passage that I have experienced and where am I trying to leapfrog? And can I allow that to be a rite of passage? Um, it's been a lot easier for me to embrace those things then. So. Yeah. I mean, you don't, you grow from your mistakes more than your victories. Right. And so I, 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 um, I met my partner at work and I was really young at the time when we met and he would always say, you need to sharpen your edges, your sharp, you, sorry, what did you say? You need to sand down your sharp edges because I had a lot of sharp edges back then and with age, but also with experiences and crazy stuff happening. Um, I've been able to do that. I think at the end of the day, it's about really refining who you are. And, but still, to your point, like authenticity is about still being yourself. Like I've always been a pusher and I always will be, but I can refine my approach to pushing. And I think the, the, the thing about being a pusher for me is that it is also inextricable from my culture and my gender and my race. Like it, it really is kind of wrapped into that. I don't have what you would, what people could say is a stereotypical like Asian girl's personality. We are stereotyped as being very subservient and quiet and hard workers. And um, I'm very pushy. I'm, I advocate for myself. I uh, really am outspoken and I am the star of the show of my own life. And I, it's just not what you expect. And I think people have had a really hard time like absorbing me at times because they weren't expecting it, you know, just by looking at me at first um, or seeing my name printed on a piece of paper. And so that I think has been challenging. And I always wonder like if I was someone else, would the pushiness be more accepted and embraced like sooner. Um, so that's just something that I've been thinking about lately. And uh, I think I, I think that it used to give me a lot of imposter syndrome, but I'm kind of come over the hump. It was a really big thing for me for a while though. Were you like, were you surprised that people couldn't 
or weren't receiving you the way you actually were, actually are? I think as a kid, you just expect people to embrace you. Like you don't have the expectation like, oh, I got to tread lightly here. They may think that I'm this or that because of the way I look. Like we're just kids, you know, at that point. And also I didn't have the race conversation necessarily like as a kid. I didn't have the conversation with my family of saying, listen, you're this race and this gender. People are going to interpret you a certain way. And so what, like, this is how you should navigate that and watch out for this and know that you're like, you're going to be able, you're going to have to tackle this. We didn't have those kinds of conversations. Our conversations around race were different and I can share that later, but I think without that, it was a surprise. It was, it did dawn on me a lot later um, into my like young adulthood to realize what was going on. Yeah, I asked because I was just like, that would be so jarring to be like, this is who I am. Like, why are you, why isn't it, why is there like a, not a barrier, but just like a, like a processing that needs to happen? Um, I, I, yeah, I just acknowledge that. I was going to ask, because I'm even reflecting on my own journey to being that pusher I had a lot of shame around it I don't know if that relates to your experience and really trying to figure out how to realize that that's an asset um we've actually talked about in the learning and development world I don't know if you've ever done the disc assessment or heard of it we used to do it all the time at my last company and I am the D in DISC, which stands for dominant. And while I appreciate those assessments and assessments in general, because they give us language and they allow us this, this self-discovery, I feel like the, the term like pushy and then segues into the D dominant of when we did that, I remember taking the test and a lot of the team, they were S's, which is like the supportive, you know, people, um, and I like instantly felt embarrassed and I felt a lot of shame around being like, oh, and I was the only D on the team, the only dominant personality on the team. And I kind of felt, and not that, I don't think other people were putting it on me and they were definitely like, oh, we're like, you know, celebrating that we have all these different people and different approaches. But I was like, I'm like, basically they joked about, they're like, these are kind of like the lovable assholes. And it's like, I, I like feel like I've started to embrace that. But I remember in that moment being like, almost feeling like I just got like found out or something or like someone just like took something from the back of my like closet that I was embarrassed to like be shown and like put it out in front of everyone. And she's like that one, she's the lovable asshole, everybody. And um, so I'm curious in like your journey of how you, if one, I guess, did you have a similar experience with it? And if you did or didn't, like what was the process of like really accepting that part of yourself? Um, or maybe it was just natural and I'm alone over here. But <laughs> yeah, I mean, I acknowledge that shame feeling. It's really hard for me to pinpoint it out. I think I felt a lot of things. I wouldn't say that I necessarily felt shame. I think I just felt even more isolated than I already felt about being 
like who I am in the in the categories of like female and Asian, it just made me feel further isolated because I didn't even fit in with the other Asian women that I was around, like like, like let's say in college. Um, and so that's really more how I felt is, is just further isolation. I think that I, I, it's hard to say like what my process has necessarily been to combat that. I think what has just ended up happening and what my life looks like is that I didn't fit in to small town white America and I didn't fit into really densely populated like metropolitan Asian communities either because I wasn't Asian enough. So what has ended up, ended up happening for me is that now I'm with a partner or I'm with friends who are all slightly different, right? Like my best friend is gay and my partner is an expat and my friends are you know, different races, but still like pretty Americanized. And I will admit, I don't have a lot of truly like really first generation Korean friends because I didn't fit in there. Um, and at the same time, I'm not in a place where I'm friends with, uh, you could say, you know, I don't know how to say this more eloquently, but white people who are not understanding of my experience. So I'm kind of in a middle ground, maybe you could say. And that is my comfort zone um, in the where I am in my journey. Um, and I'm still trying to grapple with my Asianness. It's just that um, it, I, I'm kind of now at a point where I I have to I have to accept that my experience is unique um and and that I'm an individual I would love to back it up you had mentioned conversations around race growing up and that I think I said it and maybe you did but in your intro you're a child of Korean immigrants like what what were those conversations and are you willing to share maybe a little bit about your parents coming here and like what your take on that experience as a child to now yeah, happy to share. Um, so it's funny that you said, Janelle, that um, my parents coming here, that is the general assumption, but actually my grandparents came here. Um, and so they were 22 or 23 and they emigrated here in 1963. And they are so like adventurous for doing this. Like, I don't think I could have ever done what they did. Um, and so I'm in the Korean community will oftentimes call myself I, like someone like me, like a third generation, if they're the first, um, my father being the second, cause he was born in the States and then myself a third. And, um, it's not completely accurate, but it's, you know, uh, it, and I, and so the experience there is at the time, um, I'll, there was a, exodus of like educated white physicians moving to cities to live a different life and service like those metropolitan communities and the rural communities were underserved they didn't have enough people um, in the healthcare system to 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 help 
them. And so they were recruiting from countries like Korea to get these doctors to help them. And so what ended up happening was my grandparents came here. My grandfather was um, an intern first in Cincinnati and then moved down to DC to do his residency and then moved back to Ohio and um, Mansfield, Ohio, tiny, small town and lived the American dream, which was going from nothing to everything you could imagine, sending me to private school um, for college and living, living a great life. Um, and so the experience for me was, and I, I did grow up with them. Um, they were my primary parents. The, the thing about that is I was not only in rural Ohio and so very Americanized, but they were not your typical grandparents. Um, they, my grandparent, my grandpa speaks with like no accent. He is, was a radiologist for 40 years and they are, um, they're just, they're, they're, they are really, really Westernized. They didn't, they hated Korea at the time. It was under such political turmoil after the Korean war and they came here and they love America. Um, and so I, I never, I'm not even fluent in Korean because they would speak English to me and I would speak English to them. And my dad is the most American person ever. He loves NASCAR. He loves country music. He <laughs> um, loves 80s rock. And he put me on the back of his motorcycle as a kid, which is I even like that's questionable parenting. But uh, that's what happened. Um, my parents split when I was really young mostly to cultural differences because my mom immigrated here when she was 18 and they could not be more. And so anyways, I feel like I'm going on a tangent, but the story there is that I, I, I this is why when I went to college in New York, I didn't really connect with the Koreans there, Korean kids there because they had either come from Korea themselves or their parents came and they were so Korean and, and I wasn't. As a part of the Amplify series, Rachel and I thought it was really important that we worked with our guests to be able to have an even bigger social impact when it comes to the conversations that we're having. Each guest comes with an organization that they would like us to support and donate to, and Minji has selected the STOP, Asian American and Pacific Islanders Hate, which is a social service group or a coalition, as they call themselves, addressing anti-Asian hate amidst the pandemic. We're going to leave a link in the show notes where you can donate or support the cause by also following along and seeing what they are up to and the information that they are sharing. We know it's a tough time for people financially amidst the pandemic, but if you do have some additional monetary funds, consider donating. All right, let's jump back in. And to answer your question, Janelle, around the conversations we had, so it was a very weird dynamic because I felt like a total outcast, a total like didn't fit in with, I didn't feel like I was in the in, I was on the periphery of the in group in high school or whatever, right? And um, at the same time, 
my grandfather being in a position of privilege, being a doctor said, would say things like, oh, these people, they're just ignorant or they're just uneducated. They don't understand culture. So they don't understand us. It wasn't that it was like, it's a very different experience than being what a lot of Korean communities are, which is service workers. And so I was really privileged, but also really uh, on the outside. And that was a very weird balance to navigate as a kid. It sounds like you're, I might be projecting this onto you so you can say, no, that's not true. But it sounds like you're actually now wrestling quite a bit with like, what is my ancestry and my heritage and how does that fit in? Like, where have I not honored it? And, and where do I want to? And where do I feel like I have to? I'm totally projecting onto you. So you can, (laughs) that's how, that's like what's coming up for me. If I was sitting in that space, um, yeah, that's what I'd be like, wait, what, 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 what part of my, my own story before I was born have I neglected and what part of that do I need to know and want to know in order to be the person that I am and how do I grapple with finding my way through that? Not the way anyone else has done it before. Yes. I mean, I think what you're maybe speaking around is just assimilation and my own experience with my family situation around it's really hard to do that if your family like hates the country that they came from has suffered so much trauma from that experience and loves that the country they're in and they're like speak english and you know fit in and don't try to be different you know, it's hard, it's really hard to do that, where I think there are other cultures that are way more proud, you could say, of the culture and own being individualist, uh, not individually, but they own being different, probably out of survival and other reasons. Um, And they are more in touch with their cultures. So, you know, and I think that if I had grown up in Washington, New York, or uh, Orange County, California and was in a really large Asian community, my processing of that would be very different. And I, I, I wouldn't have such a question mark um, about, about how I fit in and, and how, to, how to acknowledge my culture. It is, it is interesting. My grandparents on my dad's side were from Germany and even like some of my aunts and uncles are born there and it like these types of conversations are interesting to me too because it's like right similar story like immigrants from a different country coming here but yet I mean everyone's experience is like universally different but I think that the wrestling just because it's like European like there isn't as much of that as like my I mean I think my grandparents they found communities like German communities in the city they moved to and I think they still have like some stickiness around like not speaking English very well and things like that so like there's definitely parallels and then yet at the same time it's so much I think from just like a visual standpoint it's like very easy to 
just like fit in, I guess. And I don't know if any of this is making sense, but I'm just like trying to, I'm sussing out the parallels and like the differences between the two experiences of where, I mean, my grandparents were pretty proud of being, well, it, like they were like my opa fought for like for the Germany in World War II and like kind of you know how to like leave all that behind too and really like let that go because obviously that wasn't a great thing to do but like I still think they're proud of their German heritage but like how, and how much that has impacted me and my story and I'm still like in different ways but exploring what what that looks like or like how much of it is mine too but I, I'm rambling now too but I just think it's interesting like the the some parallel connection and then also like how it is very different but for maybe reasons that it shouldn't be but just because it's like well Germans look like a lot of other people here so it was maybe easier to wrestle and grapple with than for someone from Korea. Yeah I, I think that the sort of maybe difference there is my grandparents were pioneers like they were literally one of the first Korean immigrants in America, but also like very much one of the first Korean Americans to be in Ohio and rural Ohio. And so they were, they had lived there for a while. And then I think in the early seventies or something, they were literally, they have a picture of like literally shovels <laughs> um, pulling up dirt to build the first church, Korean church in our uh, community and then from there they grew a, a rather decent sized community um but they were the first and that's really different than coming and joining a pre-established you know kind of um community and i think have you guys seen minari yet uh, no okay no highly, <laughs> highly recommend but it's such a similar story where this family is like the first in the area and they are trying to start a farm and a, and a business you could say to service other koreans in the nearby area of of arkansas or or you know and, and so it's it's really hard to be the first and it's a very different experience yeah, that's a really good point because they did like i said they, there was a pre-existing community like they were able to kind of just like slide right into that group and almost escape like if they felt any discomfort of not being able to speak English well or whatever it was like they kind of had their their outlet well even to I think what you were probably getting at I had a conversation with one of my friends in Texas who's black and he was like yeah but at the end of the day you can change your hair change the shirt that you're wearing and you can blend right in I can't change the color of my skin and so I was just like damn yeah. And like, that's when you really, when you peel all that back, it's like, what is that like to be able to not even, well, also I'm like, gosh, that also sucks that like, to, how do I want to say this? Like the ability to blend in is like gross too. Like it, it's all sides of it is like really gross. It's just, um, but yeah, the, to to tie back to what you were saying, Janelle, it's like your ancestors were be able, were able to just kind of blend in, and um, you know, not have maybe attention drawn, and um, and that's not always the case. And then there's like things coming at you that you're like, wait, what the fuck? I don't even I, what's what's happening. I like yeah. I think 
you for making that more succinct. <laughs> so, like, I don't know I'm if like, I did. That's kind of like but <laughs> yeah. Oh, my computer just asked me if I'd like to play music. <laughs> has it, Minji, has it been, have you noticed it significantly or maybe even not significantly? I guess, how has it changed in the last few years? I mean, I would imagine COVID has totally changed it. But then even just like before that, have you have you noticed it shifting over the years? Yeah. I mean, yes. Like I live in LA, so you can't get out of an entertainment. I don't even work in entertainment, but you li- when you live here, you just are in it. And things like Crazy Rich Asians, Parasite, um, uh, what's the TV show called? Fresh, uh, Fresh Off the Boat. Um, and now Minari, like, things are changing. Um, also, oh, what's the Netflix show with that Indian girl? Oh, God. Now I can't remember it, but um, you guys can scratch this out. But anyways, yes, the, the, it is changing. And I so envy these kids who are growing up now and can see this because I didn't. And it's uh it it brings me so much joy and comfort and and honestly like retribution a little bit and it makes sense from a timing perspective because it's my generation creating these things right and so it, so it, it it has come at the right time it's just i wish i had it as a kid you know and now i with the whole, you know, increase in violence against Asians during COVID. It's a very weird experience to have so much love and so much hate for my community right now. I don't, it's so ironic to me because the Asian community has like it, 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 I personally, for me, I've never experienced more um, being Asian as something like so profoundly in my face <laughs> ever. Does that make sense what I'm saying? Yeah, like all of a sudden this thing that you didn't have to think about is like all over, but in its extremes too. Exactly. Yeah, I've never experienced being Asian so mass consumed or mass consumed and talked about. Um, to your point, like literally in the worst possible ways and in the best possible ways, it is very weird to me. <laughs> and so I'm just like processing it right now. And I am going through the experience, which I'm sure other minority groups can resonate with, which is the struggle of now being loved and being hated so much. Like that is really like waking me up and, and I'm trying to wrap my head around it. This is not at all the same, but um, I had cancer when I was 14 and 15 and it sort of reminds me. So I, when I was in high school, you didn't talk about it. Like I did everything. It's not like, and I'm blanket statementing this, but I've definitely now, I definitely now see more people being celebrated in high school for like 
oh, let's rally behind, you know, we're going to all wear gold and we're going to all wear, is not how my experience was at all. And to be coming to have been like, I, I basically shoved that part of myself away immediately, like as quickly as possible, because what it brought to my life was terrible. I mean, it was like, I saw the worst behaviors and responses from people and it was directed towards the cancer, but I didn't, at the time it felt like it was directed towards me, um, because the cancer was in me. So people, the way that they, like, I remember going to Disney world. I, um, I was a dancer and we got invited to dance at Epcot. And at the time it was right as my hair was growing back. And so we got to go on all the rides. So it was me and all my friends and I had a shaved head. And I remember parents pulling their kids closer to them when I would come by. Cause we were, I was in high school and think, I remember thinking to myself, like, oh my gosh, people think that I'm just like punk danger. I don't know, whatever they think of me. And, and so I was like, I want nothing more than to just have, to just, <laughs> to just blend in. Now I don't, but like, I was just like, I, oh my gosh. And anyways, to bring it back to what I, you were talking about, um, now I'm seeing people be celebrated through these experiences or even, you know, I follow all of these um, cancer meme channels on Instagram that like, I'm like, oh my gosh, it's inappropriate. I'm, I'm totally, we're all inappropriately laughing at cancer because what else the fuck are you going to do if you get cancer? <laughs> like you should be able to laugh at it. But it's like, all of a sudden I'm like, it's okay for me to like talk about this and like go there. And like, yes, still some people are like, I still get a ton. Like if I post about cancer stuff, I lose followers. Like people don't want to see it. And so it's not the same, but I can kind of relate a little bit in like the embracing of it while the existing underlying biases are still there and they're kind of just being heightened a little bit. Um, and then coming to grips with like, Oh, this is a part of myself that like is me, but I've never, I've hidden it. I created a personality that didn't have to acknowledge it, but it is, but I need to, because it's a huge part of who I am. And how do I do that today? Yeah, thanks for sharing that. I always have a special place in my heart for people having gone through that experience because I lost my stepmom to cancer. So um, my I I feel I feel you. Uh, so thank you for that. I mean, your story is really similar to what I'm talking about. It's just that my I have a contextual layer on top of that, which is my, the culture of being Asian and Korean is to don't stick out like and is to is to blend in and never be too loud or too you know look at me look at me I remember my my family was not we didn't travel that much we didn't um like do camping or whatever like um as instead we went shopping we ate good food and we went shopping and that's how we enjoyed life and I would buy these nice things because I was privileged and we had the that kind of um you know expendable income and I remember my grandma just saying like okay but don't wear it to school because 
you don't want to stick out too much. You don't want to be like, make other people jealous and you don't want to, you know, just be humble, like keep it to yourself. And I was like, okay, so what's the point of getting this? But also like there, it is like, it is such a culture of just downplay it, downplay it, downplay it. And that is so, yeah, it it, it is really mind blowing. <laughs> I, I really, I feel like I need to talk to other Asian people about literally this right now, um, which is that we are being so exposed in a good and really bad way and how they're dealing with that. It's so the opposite of our, our, our experience. Yeah. There is a, a, again, the same person that I was talking to before, who's kind of getting to the roots of his um, Haida culture said the same thing. He was like, all like he's like I need to find my people and like anyone who is people just need to be able to find their people not that it like becomes this isolating like we all need to like separate and isolate but there needs to be a space to feel not so isolated by being able to be around people who understand our experience and you can kind of exhale and then be able to like okay I'm not totally alone I'm not crazy, like these things that I'm processing and feeling, I'm not alone in that. And now I can kind of step into the world knowing that I'm not the only one going through it. And I can, it's almost like a place to put that, that bag down that a little bit or something. Yeah, I think sometimes too, just from like the standpoint of connecting with my feelings, like sometimes I'm feeling I'm feeling things but I don't really know what's happening on the inside and I maybe I'm trying to avoid it and then when there's someone else that has similar feelings or that similar experience and they're expressing it it starts to bring some of that clarity of like when everything inside just feels chaotic and like for me I'm like I don't know what to do with that with this at all but then someone else is like this is my experience I'm like oh like you're naming the thing right now like you're naming it that's it like but it was just a blurry mess inside of me and now I'm able to get a little bit of clarity by hearing someone else's story and connecting to it it's why it's so valuable to have community to process together and I think you know again I'm sort of in this weird position because I don't have that like go-to community like those are all my Korean friends like that's the Korean group you know like I don't have that um and so and there's a couple individuals, you know, that I, I, that I can, but it's, I'm in a, again, I think I, I feel like I'm in a vortex and I don't know which way to look <laughs> and I don't know how to, how to like understand that I'm in it. Uh, it. You know, like you just sort of don't know what you don't know. That's how I feel right now. And so I'm really looking forward to continuing to process this and especially with other Asian people and see how they're feeling and maybe things will become more clear to me too. Yeah, and I also wanna just acknowledge how authentic you're being right now in that like, this is authenticity. Like this process of wrestling and being like, I'm in a vortex, like that is authentic. And so I really acknowledge you for stepping into this space and not feeling like you have to have it like, you know, here's the formula and here's how I got there and here's the step and this here's where I'm going. It's kind of just like, I'm fucking in the eye of the tornado. <laughs> and like, this is some real shit. And so 
Yeah. And then there's the layer you had mentioned you're turning 29 this year and you feel like you're becoming a quote unquote real adult. So I just turned 29 last year. I'll turn 30 this year. But like when you said that, I was like, know that one. And so how, like add that layer to it then. So you're going through all this stuff and then you also feel like you're becoming a quote unquote real adult. Yeah, it's funny. I will, um, I'll, I'll be, my birthday is a month from today. So also my second COVID birthday, like, oh my God, ridiculous. I know the worst. Uh, honestly, that to me is like the least of my problems. Like <laughs> bring it on. I, and it's not, it's not, and I'm not trying to downplay like getting older like it is a big deal it's just I feel like I have so much other stuff going on that it's like kind of back burner I mentioned it because it's it's sort of wrapped into also like the things that are going on in my life like I just got engaged um December 31st last year and the adulting piece of that is as an Asian kid you are so trying to please your parents all the time and um, trying, especially for a woman, like you leave the household never to return and join your husband's household. And it's not like that. I'm like that at all. It's, that's not even my experience, but there's that contextual layer there. And it's really the transition of getting older and, and starting a life with someone in this sort of official kind of way and the the dynamic change of my relationship with my family that's sort of that is coming up for me um around the age and chapter of my life right now i at like 29 too for numerous reasons and events and experiences but like that's when i like i started to also see my parents more as people and not just my parents and I was going to ask you if you can recall Rachel like if it was at a similar age of like your late 20s or I don't know maybe not is that is that what happens yeah let me see a a decade ago um well I don't know I I honestly I don't remember I when I was 29 I was getting out of a relationship where I was totally numbed out I drank so much I, I was numbing way the fuck out. Um, and then something in me like, oh, my little cousin passed away of neuroblastoma, which is brain cancer. And he had done so much for that community. It was a wake up call for me. Like I was like, Rachel, you are a cancer survivor. This little 12 year old died and did more in those 12 years for that cause than you have done. I mean, that's really harsh, but that's what I was telling myself. And I was like, what are you doing? And um, so I think it wasn't. And then I shaved my head. I raised $8,000. I shaved my head, moved to Canada for a job. Like all this stuff changed right when it, right before. And as I was turning 30, Um, but I think it was in my thirties, I don't know. I would even say like, I just moved in back in with my parents as a 38 year old. I shouldn't laugh at myself, but I am. And it's like that. I do remember thinking to myself, my parents are 
not just my parents, but I don't think it's like really hit me until like living with them now where we're having to figure out how to be basically roommates, not a parent child situation. Um, and like really ask for what I want and know that I can. So I don't know. It's been like slow steps over all along the way. And like 29, you're still young babies, 38. I'm still a young baby. So like there's still more layers to uncover. So I don't recall if there, if 29 was like a specific thing. It was like a big thing for me in general. <laughs> yeah, for sure. 30 is, feels monumental. I think it's when Saturn returns is what I've heard. So like you're supposed to restart the whole 30 thing. So you get reborn. I like it. Rachel, I just want to maybe call you in and say, what you said about it being weird that you're 38 and living with your parents is very American and very white American. Um, it's very common for other cultures to live in, with three generations in a household. And I feel for you in that there's maybe, I don't know, something like shame or embarrassment or whatever it is with that. Um, but just know that it's it's not like that for everybody. And and to embrace, I don't know, the, the, the good in, in that. Um, I know for my culture, it's, uh, it's, a, it's the norm and it's a blessing. And maybe if you started thinking like an Asian person, you would be more excited about having roommates as your parents. I, I really appreciate that. <laughs> I really appreciate that. And I think that's actually what started happening in the last, I've been here for middle of March will be three months. and there's, there's a lot of realities in coming back home for me. The dynamic is, um, you know, not to get super detailed about it, but it was, um, not the easiest place to come back to. And, um, in the last month, I feel like I have had lots of invitations, like you're saying, um, in different ways of, you know, when else do you really get to step back in and meet your parents in this other way. And that's also gotten me to start thinking about like how much in our white American culture, we don't honor people after a certain age. It kind of is like, oh, well, you're like insignificant or invaluable now. And how sad that actually is and how much my ability to know myself is lacking by my inability to know where I've come from and to be able to honor the stories and the histories that's there. And so um, in the last month, it has been really cool. Like my dad calls my grandma. She's um, she's a, a first generation. Actually, my, no, she is a first generation um, Italian immigrant. And she um, is going to be 104 in July. And so he calls her every single day. And like now the phone gets passed to me and I get to talk to her. And my aunt is actually living with her. So there's like, and then my cousin, there's all these generations of us who are now living with our parents in, on the Bilotti side. And you're absolutely right. It is, it is a, a, a shift, a mindset shift, and I'm slowly getting there. And I really appreciate the call in. So thank you. It's a, and I, I call you in because it's beautiful. I think everything you just said is like 104 years old imagine the stories. I mean, imagine all the learnings about yourself. Like I really do believe in 
generational, not just generational trauma, but generational like gifts and, and, and all of that. So uh, yeah, I think it's beautiful. And I, I, as I get older, I wish I was closer to my family. When I was younger, I was running away from a lot of my problems and it's no coincidence that I moved to the West coast. Uh, and as soon as I turned 18 and, you know, picked a college, it was the complete opposite of where I was from. Um, and so I think to answer your original question, Janelle, like I've been seeing my parents as individuals for a long time. I don't even remember when because of the complex relationship I have with them. So, you know, I think what's very American about me is that boundary setting and that uh, processing and, and almost like managing up or parenting up, you could say to them on how I need to be, uh, I guess, cared for as their kid. And that shit's so hard. So good on you. <laughs> That's what I'm trying to learn right now too. And maybe, okay. So it's just for me at 29 is what we've determined. Um, just because I spent about six weeks with my parents too this past year in Wisconsin. And yeah, like really trying to navigate that. And I, I mean, I started the process. I was it was a very slow start that made made me feel like I was 16 again, <laughs> like my own actions and, and how I approached it. But um, yeah, so I just applaud you too, just to be able to set those boundaries and, and to be like have, having done that for a while now too, because I'm in it and learning and I'm like, this is not easy at all. And I just laugh every time I hear the word like boundaries, because boundaries don't exist in my culture. <laughs> like <laughs> there am like I, I will be parented by my mother until she dies uh, like it's just not a thing and so I had to like really put my foot down and it's it's hard and it, it doesn't uh doesn't yield the most positive experiences but it's needed for me so and, and I think the a thought that I had as you were speaking Rachel earlier about I really want to touch on this um, is the lack of the cultural, um, I guess, norm of respect for elders in American culture. There is a theory right now that like the reason why elderly Asians are being attacked is because they know people know that they are respected and revered and they are the most precious people in our community. And now I don't know if I necessarily think that that is the reason. It definitely could be. And it is probably many reasons. It also could just be that they're the most vulnerable and easily to be targeted because they're weaker. And so um, I wanted to really mention that because it's, I think so much of American culture is youth culture and it's showing up pretty differently for a very like um, respectful to elders, you know, filial piety kind of culture right now. Last year we talked about it and we're slowly doing it, but also even on the podcast, just trying to bring in, um, uh, you know, elders and like hear their take on it. And, 
um, I, I have always appreciated that in other cultures, how it is like the stories and the knowledge and the wisdom is passed down. And um, yeah, we're definitely not doing that. And I know from like, I don't know how many living grandparents anymore, but like, I, and I was close with my grandparents. Like, I think I was closer and spent more time with them than a lot of people do. Um, but it seems sort of sad, like all the things that get lost and the stories that were untold and the knowledge that could I could have learned you know and absorb but yeah I just you know it's like you're young and so it's like I'm not going to beat myself up about it but um if things were different or if modeling is different like what, what what would that have looked like for me like how what would I know now that I maybe don't or what stories would I know whereas now that I'm in adulthood I'm wishing I had those and I can only get them secondhand, which I'm still grateful for that opportunity too, but it would be nice to have heard it from the source. (laughs) Well, that's, I mean, that's, that's something that like I sit, we have dinner tonight or tonight, we have dinner every night and we talk about, like, I have this podcast on authenticity. So they ask me about it and then I'll like bring up the topic that we talked about and to hear their perspectives on these topics in their late 60s and to hear some of the similar things and then some it, there's just so much that I didn't know and there's so much that they didn't know about me either and like there's a lot that I did to show up the way I thought they wanted me to be and the more that I'm able to just be me and not worry that they might be freaked out by who I actually am, the more they're like, you know, they might take a beat and then they go like, we love you because that's who you are. And, and then I get to hear other things or like cooking with my mom. And I don't know. So I'm totally taking away from this a lot, but for me on a personal level, like I'm totally, what did you say? Embrace my inner Asian. Is that what you said to me? (laughs) I'm going to do that. <laughs> and I think you, I think it's, we're getting more and more globalized. So like, why not? Like, why not, you know, have take on different philosophies and, and, and ways of thinking. And I'm not trying to say like the Asian way of, you know, being and thinking and, and socially is right. And, and American Western is all wrong. Not at all. Like, the American in me has had a lot of arguments with my family about how there is just because, especially in Korean culture, but like just because someone is older than somebody doesn't mean that they deserve the respect that I am, have to give them, right? And um, I think every human being at whatever age, whatever stage, whatever they're going through deserves it. Um, it's just a way for the culture, I think, to just organize and and know where they are and and to have a sort of seamlessly functioning society. Otherwise, it just feels so disorderly and crazy. Um, something that I love about my grandparents is that they weren't the typical grandparent or Asian parents and saying you have to be a doctor or you have to be a lawyer or you have to be like an engineer or something. My family's very creative and they have really encourage us to be whatever we want to be and so that's some of the westernizing of them uh I really want to moving forward I really want to not just embrace my Asian-ness but 
I really want to be able to take on different perspectives and, and integrate in them, integrate them into my life and really reap the benefits of being able to do that. Um, and always see the value in just, you know, thinking differently and acting differently that I think is authentic for me. Yeah. Go ahead, Janelle. We've been having a lot of conversations on contrast because we have a, a workshop coming up and I just wanted to say I love when you're like, you know, the American in me, but then the, you know, the Korean in me, the Asian in me, like how you can hold all of those different aspects and sides, even if they are potentially conflicting within one space and you are choosing the parts that work for you, which is so beautiful. And whether it's cultural background, heritage, or just, you know, being bold, but then also being supportive, like being able to hold space for those, those different and like seemingly opposing things um, is really beautiful. Well, and what's cool is that all these different cultures, you know, maybe they did swing pendulums, you know, you know, one way or another, but we have an opportunity to be able to see what that looks like and like pull benefits from both. And so I, I don't know, it's like, you're right. It's not that one is better than the other, or that now we need to be anti-American and just, you know, it's not that it's like, okay, so we now got to see when things get pushed in a direction and played out in that direction. And so how can we learn from it and take what works and maybe adjust for ourselves and with each other or, or just acknowledge that there's a lot of different ways that things can be, can unfold and that there's, you know, um, there's the good and bad in all of it. And, um, yeah, I I don't know. I, I guess there's still this, like, it feels like there's still this seeking towards finding the right thing. And like, I think that's the wrong game. Like, I don't think that's the game we need to be playing anymore. Um, but you know, there is like the, the society and there does need to be a structure and, you know, does it have to be on such a hierarchy? I I don't know. I don't have the answer. I'm just, uh, postulating. Yeah. Yes. Great. (laughs) Awesome. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's so gray and it's so complex and it's, you know, in Asian culture, like the way you show love is to push people. Like the way you show love to your children is to push them because you care so much and you want them to be, you know, the best they can be. And that's not what you, what as societally you it's not really what you would assume, you know, the family unit is really different than culturally at a really macro level. I mean, the only other thing, well, there's a lot of other things, but it's like, also I consider a lot. I used to think about this when I was a kid all the time, but even now more so than ever, it's like, whoa, like I just happen to be born in this body. Like who, (laughs) So like, yeah, have some pride in like the body and the history and the things that I happen to be born into, but I, I just happen to be born in this body. Like, like who's to say why I would have been born in this body versus that body versus this experience versus that experience. 
And so it's like, again, honor, like this is a unique expression of human that I embody. And so honor that, but not at the expense of another person who is a unique expression of human that I could have just as easily statistically speaking been born into like, there's just no say. Yeah. Anyways. So do we have any final departing thoughts before we go into our last question? I guess my only parting thought is we are all being woken up right now and not, only is it like an individual journey but I think just this moment in time in history we're like really trying to navigate it and I just am at times it can be really hard to to work through this stuff and I'm in a privileged position where some days I can choose if I want to deal with it or not honestly and I really, really acknowledge that and and grappling with that and also weirdly grateful. Like, I think it's such a, I have such weird feelings about it. And so I just feel really blessed to be living in this time where we can have these conversations and that progress is being made. Of course, it could be faster, but it is being made. and. Yeah, I think it's so personal to everybody that we all have a stake in it. And hopefully that motivates everyone to grow because it is so individual too. Um, and yeah, it will never be perfect, but it could definitely get better. I think perfect is what got us to this whole thing. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. Fuck perfection. <laughs> For real though. Yeah, have a conversation. Even if it's ugly and very imperfect, it probably will be. Because I've been finding as I navigate this too, trying is better than avoiding because you're scared to get it like to get it wrong. Yeah. Um Mindy, our final question that we ask is how do you live your true north in one word? I live my true north is through bravery. Love it. I thought you were gonna say vortex. <laughs> <laughs> also that. Like also that. <laughs> I like it. Well, thank you so much for jumping on here with us. And it was so good to have you and just, you know, hear your story and share your perspective. We really appreciate it. Minji, if anyone wants to get a hold of you, how can they do that? Oh, um, I'm a big LinkedIn person so I think Janelle that's how you reached out to me um no, I think you're the first person from LinkedIn that I've got to come on the podcast it's normally like Instagram or something else but LinkedIn <laughs> yeah it's just easy and it also is um the I guess the most appropriate space for strangers who want to connect you know kind of thing so uh yeah Minji Lou M-I-N-J-I L-E-W, find me. More than happy to chat. Perfect. And we'll link that in the show notes. Awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. This is brilliant. Thank you so much for having me. When I was 
when I suddenly broke down in the shower this morning for no reason that I didn't see coming. Again, the vortex. Uh, I was super grateful to have this today with you both because I knew I needed to process this and this is just one opportunity to help me and I will continue to be with various parties. Um, but thank you both for just creating the space and uplifting, you know, BIPOC voices um, and talking about authenticity. Like what an important topic that we should all be thinking about. So thank you. Thanks for trusting us. This has been Amplify, a mini series by the True North Collective podcast. For more from Rachel and I, and to be able to leave a donation for our guests coming on this mini series, check us out on the gram at the True North Collective underscore. We think it's incredibly important that everyone be able to authentically live and find their true north. We appreciate your support. Thank you.